Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 106 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a fantastic show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview uh, and discussion, all rolled into one with my guest, Michael C. Anthony. Um, Then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news story. Um, I've got a really interesting one uh, uh, for you this week. Uh, Examining the media, uh, uh, and I'm offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways that hypnosis and, and related subjects get portrayed in the media. Uh, I'll then round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. Um, As I said at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of my guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted in the episode notes section at iTunes and on each episode's page on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. Uh, It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then uh, do go give us a favourable rating, uh, even a review at iTunes. Uh, I'll be a BFF if you do. So uh, first of all today is this week's interview um, and our discussion is all rolled into one. Uh, uh, this week with my guest Michael C. Anthony. Um, We're going to be discussing and chatting primarily about the topic of stage hypnosis. It's something I've not really covered in previous episodes, at least not not since some of the really early episodes when we had Martin S. Taylor on and um, Sean Michael Andrews, and we kind of discussed it and touched touched upon it then, but really didn't didn't sort of roll our sleeves up and get stuck in. Michael recently proved incredibly popular at the UK Hypnosis Convention. Um, He's going to be returning later this year. I cannot think of anyone um, in the world currently better to have on the show to discuss stage hypnosis with. Um, um, Michael's an award-winning stage hypnotist uh, and has performed a lot of shows um, around the world throughout the years. And um, um, he's the official hypnotist for The Illusionists, uh, the highest grossing show of its kind in the world. Um, He's the creator of Stage Hypnosis University, which gets mentioned and explained later on. Um, I got to meet Michael briefly last year and um, I've talked with him off air. He's every bit as charming and endearing as he sounds, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. Anyway, let's get on with it, shall we? For now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview and discussion with Michael C. Anthony. So 
as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly, the one and only Michael C. Anthony. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Adam. Great to talk to you. So let's learn a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit, you know, how did you get into this field? Um, um, tell us, you know, about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. Okay. Uh, as you know, uh, I am primarily a stage performer. I'm qualified to do therapy, but I've been performing on stage around the world for 25 years. And wow. how did it all happen? Well, it's, it's sort of a, a multifaceted thing. My, my very first experience with hypnosis came when I was about eight years old uh, because I was a bedwetter. And right. my mother brought me to go see a hypnotherapist. And it was the weirdest thing. I remember it like it was yesterday, and so does she. Because, you know, here I am, just a young boy, I, I know nothing about hypnosis, didn't even know what the word was, and I'm sitting there in the big armchair, and, and the hypnotherapist is telling me to get relaxed, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm complying, I'm, I'm relaxing, and he's, I remember him specifically saying to relax my hands, mm. and so my hands were very relaxed, and then he did whatever he did to snap me out of it, now my mother was out of the room at the time, and he says, now, do you feel like you were hypnotized? You know, he's looking looking to see if I was uh, in agreement with everything. And I said, I, I, I suppose I don't really know. He said, look down at your hands. And through the skin, the top of the skin on each hand, he put a pin right through. <laughs> now, they don't do this anymore. <laughs> but in back in those days, and I just looked down. I'm eight years old. I didn't feel any pain. I thought this was interesting. He called my mother in. And she didn't like that at all. <laughs> Surprisingly <laughs> enough. And uh, so we left. And I guess naturally, you know, did the hypnosis work? Uh, yeah, yes, I was hypnotized. Did it, did it reverse the bedwetting? Uh, I naturally, about two years later, stopped wetting the bed. It runs in my family. Anyway, so <laughs> that was my very first touch with it. My second touch with it was my great uncle. His name is Joe LaMonica. Hmm. He was a well-known stage hypnotist, yeah. and he performed mostly around the upstate New York area and in Florida, and I never saw him perform. He was one of those uncles that, you know, is, uh, you know, you see him about every five or six years, but he was also a magician, and yeah. he would always be, you know, pulling coins out of mine and my brother's <laughs> ear. And, you know, we believe we really had coins in there. But I knew always in the back of my mind, my great uncle was a hypnotist. But, yeah. you know, I never thought anything of it, never saw him perform. But OK, that's just a fact of life. Let's fast forward now to a time when I'm about 21 years old. I'm living in Toronto at the time. I'm down in Florida now. Yeah. And. Somebody comes up to me. At the time, I was running a cookie store. Uh, I was miserable. Uh, it wasn't what I wanted to do in life. I, you know, I, I, was, I was searching at the moment. Yeah. And somebody comes up to me that, that worked in this shopping mall where the cookie store was, said, hey, do you want to go see a hypnotist? And I said, yeah, that sounds cool. My great uncle actually did that. And he said, okay, let's go. So we go, it was at a club in Toronto, and strangely enough, it's somebody we both know and love. It was Mike Mandel. Right. right? I didn't know him at the time. He's my best friend now. We've been best friends for, 
Uh, since about 1996, but right we didn't now. know each other at the time. So, so I, I'm watching this show, and as you know with Mike, he's very elegant and very genius with his hypnosis and, and very great sense of humor as well. So I'm watching this, and within 20 minutes, I knew this is what I want to do. I don't know how. I don't. I have no idea what to do at the time. I should back up just a little bit. I was performing uh, close-up magic with cards and coins. I sort of took after my uncle naturally in that area. He didn't teach me, but I sort of got into it myself. So I was performing and making a little bit of money on the side doing magic. But when I saw Mike Mandel perform very early in the performance, it, it really spoke to me. And I thought, this is what I would like to do. And... Uh, strangely enough, here I am 25 years later. <laughs> it's all I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, you don't seem old enough to, to, to have been doing this for 25 years. Um, I'm 53 I'm, I'm... as of this recording, Adam. I know, which, which is nuts. You do not seem it. And, and it, it, in, in person, in person, you do not seem it either. You know, in a good way, in a good way. Well, you know, I'm a performer, so I am naturally very immature. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that I'm really interested in, um, I'm, excuse me, kind of kind of butting into your, your history a little bit there. Um, um, but you, you mentioned you mentioned bedwetting as a as a real youngster. I don't know whether that was whether that, that is related at all, but I was really kind of looking for an inroad because at, at what point in your personal history and what point in your kind of professional career had you undergone? Your, your 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 kidney transplant because I, I think it's something that um 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 it is it, is is of real interest for people that are going to get that are going to become interested in you and be interested in your work and and the stuff we're going to speak later on something that you've overcome and perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about um your your, your kidney transplant story um, yeah. um and at what point in your life that all happened. Absolutely. Now, was the bedwetting related? I actually asked my doctor that, and he can't know the answer. Right. Sure. Um, there, are, there are other bedwetters in my family. I don't know if I had a small bladder or whatever, and you know, they grow out of it as, as they're approaching puberty, I suppose. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I, I can't say if it, if it was uh, truly related. But so my transplant was in 2011. But back up four years before that, um, I had random blood work done. Yeah. And, you know, just for a checkup kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I get a call from the doctor and, you know, nobody likes that. No. And the doctor says your creatinine level is really high. Now, unless you know about kidneys, you don't even know what creatinine is. No. And so I, I said, well, so what does this mean? And he said, your kidneys are currently at 32% and failing. So <clears throat> coming from more of a natural background, you know, I, I, I try to stay healthy, of course. And, you know, I educate myself on, you know, what's good for you, what's bad for you. So I'm thinking, well, what do I need to do to reverse this? Do I need to go on a vegan diet? Do I need to water fast for seven days? You know, who knows? I'm just thinking, well, there's probably a, a solution to get these kidneys back to where they need to be. Yeah. And he said, uh, there is no solution. You're going to need a kidney transplant. 
And, you know, this is just like a random Tuesday afternoon when everything is going as planned and boom, your life changes, right? So I did, now the type of kidney disease I had is called polycystic kidney disease. And it is, what that means is apparently I was born missing whatever it was to tell my kidneys to stop growing. So they just kept growing and growing and growing. I wondered why, you know, in in the late 2000s, why I was getting this belly. Why did I look like I was five months pregnant and I couldn't lose it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would go on a diet and I'd get all skinny legs and my face would get skinny, but this belly would stay there. So... The doctor said, we do transplants when you're at 10% kidney function, and that looks like it's going to be about four years. So, okay, and and he was correct with that, brought me to 2011. So in that four years, I tried everything. Uh, I was even getting crazy with things I was attempting. If I found something online that said, do this, I was trying everything, trying to beat the system, right? Uh, I ate grapes for 30 days. That's all I ate, right? That was one (laughs) thing I did. I took baths and all these different types of things because they, they call the skin the third kidney and you can really get everything out of your skin. I tried so many things, so many different diets, nothing was working. And what I didn't like about having to have a kidney transplant uh, was the medication. Now, thank God for the medication um, because, you know, the immunosuppressive medication you have to be on after a kidney transplant, what the immunosuppressive medication does is it makes your immune system stupid enough to not recognize this new foreign kidney in your body. Yeah. But it's also... So it doesn't reject it. Yeah, to not reject it. But it also makes your immune system such that you will get anything from a cold to cancer. Your immune system is lowered, right? Yeah, so you can yeah. get all sorts of things. And I, I wasn't a fan of that. So I am looking for ways around this. Is there a way around this? I did find one thing where they were experimenting in India. And I'm like, well, do I go to India? I don't know. So I was just researching everything, totally open mind. I, you know, I question everything out there and accept anything out there at this point. I'm just an open book. Well, my dad, coincidentally enough, finds a research program in Chicago. And uh, the research program was uh, a, a kidney transplant and a stem cell transplant. So my brother, God bless him, stepped up right away, said, you need a kidney, you've got mine. But they also took my brother's stem cells, which is essentially your immune system. Yeah. And so in order for me to accept his immune system, they have to get rid of mine. How do they do that? Uh, High-dose chemothera- chemotherapy and total body radiation. I wasn't a fan, but to me, it was short-term pain for long-term gain. Yeah. And so they wiped my immune system totally out of my body. My doctor said, don't shave, because if you shave and cut yourself, we can't stop the bleeding. Don't bump into anything, uh, or you'll get a bruise and we can't stop the bruise. So for a a day and a half to two day period there, I was literally the boy in the plastic bubble, if you remember that old movie with John Travolta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nobody could come near me because I I find that terrifying. I find that absolutely terrifying. To, to, yes, hear, to hear of that, you know, I've got butterflies in my stomach listening to you talking about that. 
yeah, it, it was it was just a crazy period. But I kept telling myself, all of this is going to, you know, short term pain for long term gain. That was what I was focused on. So my immune system is nothing for that for that day and a half or two day period. My brother had been donating his stem cells. For him, it was easy. He, he, he gets an IV in his arm. He sits and watches movies, and they're taking it out of him, and it's replenishing in him at the same time. So easy for him. He's just watching movies while it's coming out. They're putting in this great big container, and then it has to get shipped to Kentucky. They process it. And so the day of the transplant comes. They do the transplant, and the next day – they put my brother's immune system in me. Now, because I had no immune system at all, my body, any of my organs, didn't know what immune system I was supposed to have. So when one comes in, my body accepts it as its own. I guess something that's called chimerism. And so now uh, everything works perfectly. I was on the medication. This was standard protocol. I was on the medication for a year being weaned off of the medication just in case something didn't go right. But now, uh, it's been since 2011 and I'm the, the 15th person in the world with a transplanted wow. organ and in no need of, of immune, immunosuppressive medication. And it's literally wow. as, as if it didn't happen. Um, I'm just a person with one kidney. And, and when, you, when you get into this whole kidney world, you find out there's a lot of people in the world that were born with one kidney. And so now I'm the same as my brother, just a guy with uh, one kidney, no special diet, no medication, no nothing. So medical science in that area, yeah. beautiful thing. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. I mean, you know, that, 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 that's a joy to hear. Um, um, and, 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 and crazy at the same time. Um, yeah. I, I, I love to hear that. And so, so you, 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 with regards to, to where you're at, you know, you know, so you, you had a bit of time out while this was going on, I'm guessing, you know, yep. as far as, as far as you, your work was concerned and then, um, um, but it's, it's not holding you back and, and you don't have to do anything special with regards to it today. You just carry on with this kind of flourishing stage hypnosis career that you have. Yep. yep. Strangely enough, I only had to take off, uh, the transplant was December 1st, 2011. And I had to be in Chicago. Uh, I had to be there about a month early for all this processing. And I had to, we had to do these special shots for, for what was going to be happening. I was back to work in April and <laughs> technically wow. I should Technically, I shouldn't have been, but I didn't know how much time to take off. So I told my agents I'm taking from uh, from from uh, November, December, January, February, March off, start booking me in April. And so they did that. And technically, I shouldn't have gone on stage. I had it set up for the first time that there would be uh, a stool, you know, far stage right. Yeah. And... I don't normally perform this way, but I had them put it there. So just in case I wanted to, if I got a bit dizzy or whatever, that I would just, you know, sit in the stool, look cool, look natural. But really, I was doing it because I had to. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. So so I, I, 
I've kind of interrupted the timeline there. So th th this this th this happened in 2011, um, and, and you'd had these you'd had these kind of two sort of standout um, touches with with stage hypnosis and with hypnosis as a boy and as a younger man. Um, yeah. um, and 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 then then you know at what point did you you know what point did you did you make the decision and at what point did you full blown become you know stage hypnotist and and start doing it professionally. Okay. Yep. So it, it the, the timeline worked like this. So I went to see Mike's show. I didn't know Mike from a hole in the wall. But coincidentally, I knew some other people that knew him. And so I went to see a show and I didn't realize at the time it was considered an unethical thing to do. But I would I went to go see Mike's show and I recorded it with one of those cassette Walkmans. Remember those? Right. Yeah. yeah. I recorded it and I went to go see. Uh, a couple other hypnotists, probably four, and did the same thing. And then I listened to them all and put it all out on paper. I created a giant matrix of about five different stage shows. And then, and I had, I, you know, there was no internet at the, internet at the time. And, you know, hip, there were hypnosis books out there, but they were primarily therapeutic. And I had this giant matrix in front of me trying to say, okay, why does this guy do this? Why does this guy say this? What, what, what gels here with these two? And why does this guy do it over this way? So, and as you know, with Mike, his, he's got like a Mensa IQ and uh, just very brilliant in his delivery. Mm. And so in, in watching him, I thought, you know, this guy's obviously... Uh, got some sort of superpowered brain. So it was one of the other hypnotists, and I, I joke with Mike about this, it was one of the other hypnotists that I saw that I thought didn't perform very well and made me say to myself, if that guy can do it, so can I, right? Yeah. But it, it was a monumental task that I wouldn't wish upon anybody. So for a year and a half, I messed around with this. And... At one point, I took two years off because I, I just totally lost confidence because I thought I can't I can't do this. Who do I think I am? Right. I'm right. saying to myself, saying to myself, Mike, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Stay in the, you know, the rat race that I was unhappy with. You know, this kind of thing is for other people. But then one day, Adam, I, I woke up and I thought. I can do this. I need to be, I, I need to make this happen. So I worked like crazy and I didn't know if I was doing things properly or not. So when you say, and, when you say you worked like crazy, do you mean doing shows or studying or, no, studying. or, or putting, so putting your show together and getting your ideas together and studying? Yes. Right. Okay. Great. Putting everything on paper and, but did I really know if it was the right way or the wrong way? I didn't. As you know, there are several different approaches one can take with hypnosis. Yeah. Now, what I had going for me there was, remember I told you I was already performing, you know, part-time, making some money as a magician. So I, I was able to perform. You know, more, I don't, when I say magician, don't think of rabbit at a hat kind of guy. I do. <laughs> crazy sleight of hand mentalism type of stuff yeah and so i was i was pretty good at that stuff and but i had a i was performing so i knew what it was like to perform and that was really helping me in that regard so i i 
I worked really hard to, to make it happen. And here's the thing. Here's what I here's what I knew. And people call me crazy for this. Uh, but I've got several of my students that take the same approach. Some do go another way. You know, I, I coach them all the way through. But I knew that if I try to practice hypnotizing someone really close to me, like, you know, like my brother, like my mother, like my like my best friend, I'm not going to get the results I'm looking for because they're looking at me. Oh, you're just Mike. You, you can't do this stuff. So it almost becomes laughable. Yeah. So I had everything scripted out and I practiced in my bedroom using a hairbrush as a microphone. <laughs> I, I, I went through this thing, Adam, you have no idea how many times I went through this in my head and physically yeah. going through the show. I pictured on my wall an audience laughing and applauding. So it was so, I'm not going to say memorized because, you know, I, I there has to be room to be organic on the stage. And so amazingly enough, I'm at the cookie store one day and this guy that worked in the mall at Radio Shack, uh, which is no more, uh, he used to love my card tricks. And he would come, he came up to me one day and said, hey, you should do these card tricks at my college. I know the girl that books the shows. And I said to him, you know the girl that books the shows? I go, can you get me a meeting with her? And he says, sure, I'll get you her number. And I said, tell her I'm a hypnotist, right? Because in my mind, I was. I knew I wasn't out there in the real world, but in my mind, I was. And I had a lot drafted out. So I get a meeting with the girl, and I knew if I can just get in front of her, like with a deck of cards or something, and, and make her laugh, she won't ask any questions. What shows have you done? Where have you been? So she got a few people together. And I bamboozled them with with a pack of cars. And she just said, OK, uh, how much is a show? You know, and I threw a number out there that to me was astronomical at the time. I charge many times more now, but I said seven hundred dollars. And she said, OK, the, the show's in January. And this was September 29th. I remember because it was my birthday. And so she booked it September 29th. The show was in January. So now I've got three months uh, to make this happen. And like I mentioned earlier, I didn't go hypnotizing my mother, you know, my father, my brother, whoever. Um, I I was going to go out there with full confidence like I'd done it a thousand times before. So long story short, 225 people are at the show. Everything goes phenomenal. I get a standing ovation, hypnotized, awesome. 25 people made everything happen. But an hour previous to that had never hypnotized a person in my life. <laughs> so the, the first time you were hypnotizing anyone was there. I mean, talk about diving in at the deep end. Was oh, there I did. in the show. Your I don't know if I have those cojones anymore, <laughs> but I did that. Flipping, a flipping heck. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that is some, that is some brass balls. Uh, well yeah. played. Well played. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm fascinated by that. And, um, I, and so, and so the, the, is it a case of the rest is history? Yeah, from there, uh, that girl recommended I play at, a, at another college that was about, you know, 45 minutes away, yeah. booked that show. This, the original show had me back three months later. And when I came back, I asked where one of the other students were, this, this guy named Rich. And she said, oh, he's at NACA. 
you know, and I said, what's that? And it's a, it's an organization where entertainers go in the U S to, to get booked in, in, in the college market. I play several different types of markets, but the college market is one. Yeah. And I didn't even know what it was. And she sort of, she said, you don't even know what it is. And I said, no. And, and because I, although I lived in Toronto, I was born in New York, so I'm American. So I, I went to that association, signed up, luckily uh, got a showcase and uh, booked a whole bunch of shows. And within four years, I was doing 110 shows a year. And, you know, I do more than that sometimes, uh, but I'm, I'm also uh, – do well with the corporate market. And it, it's funny. Here's what's funny. This girl, her name was Jill, the girl that booked me the very first time. She became a friend on Facebook, oh, probably 10 years ago. And I remember when she sent me the friend request, she said, is this the, the Michael Anthony uh, that did hypnosis at Sheridan College Brampton campus back in 1990? I think it was 95. And I said, yes, Jill Baker, how are you? She said, oh, <laughs> so nice to see you. You know, I didn't have the balls until about a year ago. I said, Jill, I have to tell you something. She said, what? I go, you know, you brought me in for those shows. And like, she's followed my career all these years. Yeah. You know, and she's like, I can't believe you worked back for me way back in the day. I said, I have to tell you something, Jill. You gave me my first break. That was the first show I performed in my life. Right. Wow. And she says, you are kidding. I had no idea. Right. So <laughs> it, was, it was sort of fun to to let yeah. that drop after all these. Yeah, years. yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I like that. You came clean. So let's yes. <laughs> let, let's talk a little bit. Let's let's get into the subject of hypnosis now. Then, you know, where, where are you at with hypnosis? I mean, you've been working with it now for, for, for these, these, these decades, you know, how, how do you define hypnosis? Uh, how do you arrive at that definition or, or, or how do you explain it? You know, how do you explain it to, to people that attend your shows? And, and is, is that different to the way in which, you know, you, you believe it to be in your own mind? Um, you know, is it kind of sanitized or changed, you know, w within the context of your shows? Yeah, I'm going to say back in the day, um, I was the typical altered state of consciousness type, you know, all that kind of stuff way yeah, back sure. in the day. And that's how I will explain things to an audience when I'm talking about hypnosis. You know, I do a little bit of stand-up comedy talking about hypnosis, what it is, what it isn't. And I give the expected definition of hypnosis. I don't want to confuse anybody, sure. right? Because, you, you know, those of us that are very... Yeah, you're, not, you're not lecturing, you know. No, exactly. I'm not talking to other hypnotists. I'm talking yeah. to lay people here. But there's a saying in hypnosis that I love, and it's where my definition falls now. Hypnosis isn't what you think it is. It's what you think it is. So <laughs> yeah. if you can cause somebody to believe they're hypnotized, then you're going to hypnotize them. I don't care what your method is. I don't care if you're, if you're using... Uh, Erickson or Elman or direct suggestion, uh, God forbid, progressive muscle relaxation, well, you know, boring, which will bore people into a trance. But whatever is going to give you the results, I don't think anybody has secret sauce. I believe everybody develops their own style over time. But if you are getting the results, getting somebody to a relaxed state, 
where they can, in a therapeutic sense, make changes and, you know, call it hypnosis or just call it you've got somebody so relaxed where they can forget about the world around them and really focus on changing themselves from the inside. Make some real hard, fast decisions without any of the noise that they're used to dealing with in their life. Call that hypnosis, call that whatever you want. But we in the practice call it hypnosis, and I'm fine with that definition. But whichever way you want to go, whatever is getting you the results, good on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, I get that. I get that. So, so tell me, you know, um, you, you mentioned Mike Mandel. Um, um, you mentioned you mentioned your your, your great uncle. You know, it's, it seems like such a shame that you didn't get to see a show of his. Um, um, but tell me, tell me about some of your major influences in the field. You know, tell me about about people or books and authors that have taught you the most, and some of the teachers that have been most influential upon you, and and, and just kind of explain some of that, perhaps. Yep. At the beginning, uh, Mike Mandel. I met Mike about a year after I started performing at a. Uh, a convention for entertainers, and we hit it off right away, and have uh, been best friends ever since. Um, but strangely enough, Mike and I were friends before we're colleagues, and yeah. yeah, we talk hypnosis sometimes, we talk business sometimes, but mostly we're just carrying on about other nonsense. Um, but Derek Balmer, the late great Derek Balmer from Canada, was my official trainer when it came to NLP training and Ericksonian hypnosis. Uh, I love Erickson. I love Elman. Um, and there's there's great guys out there. You just did a podcast with Greg McCall, who's a good friend of mine. Yeah. A brilliant guy. I, I love I love the the steps that he takes in his practice. You know, he he's not fooling around. He gets right to the point, drives the point home, a very direct approach, which is fantastic. And you know, so but also as far as entertainment goes, David Copperfield, he's not even a hypnotist. Mm. He's a magician. I loved the style. So I'm trying to combine, let's say, David Copperfield and Milton Erickson and create this new person with it. Mm. Those mm. are that's my types of influence that I, yeah. that, I, that I use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how I'm going to see you now, a kind of morph of, of David Copperfield and Milton Erickson. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. No, no. So you've been, you've been doing. You know, you've been doing. Uh, been up on the stage um, um, for, for for a great many years, doing doing these hundreds of shows. Um, tell me, tell me, what's been one of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've that you've directly witnessed, whether it's either in your shows or or, or, or elsewhere? Uh, um, just, just talk to me a little bit about that. Every once in a while, I will see something that shocks even me. I remember. A number of years ago, I was shooting a TV pilot for VH1 here in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. And we were doing a show called Trance Rock. And the premise of the show was I hypnotized people to be their their favorite rock stars. Okay. Mm. And I remember this one girl, her name was Kira. She was just a, an amazing hypnotic subject. And I had her tranced out to the floor like you can't imagine. So... But the character that I turned her into was Mick Jagger. She was already a Mick Jagger fan. You know, I was yeah. hypnotizing to be their favorite rock stars. And 
she could do Mick Jagger as good as Mick Jagger, which was amazing. But the, the amazing thing about it was I had to keep these people in trance for hours during the shoot. Okay, because I was also at the time I was doing Madonna and a couple other people. So when I needed this person, I would just call them. I, I'm keeping them in character through the hypnosis. Well, a producer comes up to me uh, just with his eyes wide open and his mind blown. <laughs> he said, he said, you're not going to believe what just happened. I, I told Kira she was standing up against a wall. I walked up to her and I said, hey, Kira, uh, you're up next. And she didn't look at me. I said, I said, Kira, you're next. And she didn't, she didn't look at him. So he said one more time, Kira, you're going up next. She just turned to him and said, my name is Mick. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, for for hours. And it's funny, I, I had another episode happen on stage recently that was that uh, was funny because you know, I can do my show a thousand times and, you know, it, it, it will it will go naturally like clockwork. But sometimes just things come out that I couldn't have possibly expected. Right. There's a point in the show where I will make a guy. Uh, I set up this whole dance con, not a dance contest, but a dance where I tell a guy he's going to see me standing beside a beautiful girl and I'm holding a broom. Right. So the guy's trance out and I say, uh, when I awaken you and the music starts to play, you won't be able to resist coming up and asking me if you can dance with my girlfriend. OK, done it 2000 times. It's, it's a highlight of the show. Music starts. He snaps out of it. He's looking at the broom with all kinds of lust and walks over to me and says, can I dance with your girlfriend? I give him the broom and he and he starts dancing. It's a very, uh, a very funny slash romantic part of the show. Right. Yeah. Well, He's dancing with the broom. Hey, everybody's laughing and I'm laughing. And I see out of my peripherals a girl who's on the stage walking over toward me and toward him. I'm thinking, what's happening here? She passes me, goes to him. I didn't know this was the guy's girlfriend, right? And she walks up to him. <laughs> grabs the broom, throws it on the ground and says, whore. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I, yeah I, I'm loving it for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I mean, wow, wow. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm within, within the stage stuff, um, um, do, do, do you have a favorite aspect of, of, of your routine throughout the year? Is there something that, that you absolutely just love doing time after time? feels fresh, stays fresh as far as you're concerned, that, that's a real kind of favorite, uh, like effect or part of skit or part of your routine that, that yeah. you love to do? Two different things. One, and this is aside from a skit, one of the things that I like to do is um, my show is not scripted, but because, you know, I, I'll do different segments, you know, depending on the day, depending where I am. But there are sometimes I will say to myself, I'll say, okay, Mike, uh, tonight's induction, totally freestyle it, right? Mm. And to make matters worse, I'll say, break as many rules as you can, <laughs> right? Because I, I, I'm, I'm challenging myself to say, can I still get the same result 
if I'm breaking the rules. It all goes yeah. back to hypnosis isn't what you think it is. It's what you think it is. Yeah. If my volunteers or in a therapeutic setting, if the subject thinks, you know, because you've got the credibility as the hypnotist, you're obviously doing the right thing, even if in your own mind you're twisting the rules a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll do that and I'll, I'll break some rules and to my amazement and sometimes uh, sometimes I, I veer back on track. It's a, it's an interesting test for me to watch how the results can be exactly the same or just you know slightly different depending on what I'm doing. Now, one of the things I like to do, um, probably my favorite part of the show, is where I'll borrow a, a fellow's belt and I'll hang it on the microphone stand. In, in you know in front of all my volunteers I've got about 20 to 30 people up there yeah. and let's say you lent me the belt yeah. so uh, what's your name your name's Adam hey Adam can I borrow your belt and you'll give me your belt and I hang it on the microphone stand I'll say everybody focus on Adam's belt and when I say focus on it I mean really focus on it I'm going to approach it carefully with trepidation we want to make sure nobody gets hurt and you can start to see the tension in, 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 in my volunteers. And I just walk, this is totally indirect suggestion. Mm. I walk up to it, I touch it and I go, and you see everybody back up. Now they know it's a snake, right? Mm. Now I walk to the other side. I'm being cautious. I say, I'm going to approach it again. Well, it seemed to be looking the other way. I was watching a TV show once where a guy grabbed onto one of these and it bit him right in the face. Focus on it, right? And I'll do it again. I'll grab, I'll call me crazy. I'm going to grab onto this thing. And everybody runs across the stage. They jump out of their chairs. They get away from it. And, and I'll pick it up and say, it's a belt. Get back in your chairs. It's just a belt. So then I'll describe to the audience, because in stage hypnosis, one of the mistakes a lot of performers will make is they don't even acknowledge the audience very much. Mm. But I'll acknowledge the audience and I'll say, because of this indirect suggestion, now I can literally call it a belt. But, but because of the audio association, the audio anchor, that S sound that I've attached to it, call it a belt, describe it as a belt, remind everybody up here, Adam, let me the belt. But as soon as I make that S sound, they'll immediately remember, and I point to it and I go, what it really is. <laughs> right. So this S sound, they freak out. So after I've done that enough, I'll say, Adam, come here for me for a second. And I've got your belt in my hand. So you recognize that as your belt, right? And you say, yes. And I say, hold it for me. So you hold it. And I give a little snicker to the audience because they think I'm going to make the S sound while you're holding it. And uh, I say, put it back on for us. And the audience is like, oh, no, 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 no. You put the belt on. And when you're about halfway there, I make the yes sound. You rip it off, sometimes throw it into the audience. <laughs> your life. So it's a really fun part of the show. And I like it because it's very indirect. I'm not yeah. telling them what to do. No. And as, as a, a stage hypnotist, it's important to not just give direct suggestions and tell everybody everything. Because then it just seems like, well, he told them to do this. He did this. You want to play it in such a way that it's very elegant and very indirect. And that's what really sells hypnosis. Because at the end of the day, 
You want people who came into your show, sat in the audience. If there were people that were non-believers, in my mind, it's my job to have them walk out the door saying, okay, I believe, because there's just no other way that could have been happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and they created a lot of it for themselves. Um, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that, that the fact that it is indirect means that they got an opportunity to kind of project meaning onto things and create some of that for themselves without being, you know, purely spoon, uh, spoon fed with it. Absolutely. Um, um, which I, I love that. Um, um, Michael, if, if you could go back to when you started out as a, um, um, as a stage hypnotist as, as a hypnosis professional knowing what you know now is there anything that you do differently and if so what um is there any advice that the person that you are today would give that younger you um that, that, that you'd share with us yeah i would say get out of your own way drop the fear and go for it because i wasted a lot of time mm. uh when, when I discovered what hypnosis was and knew I wanted to do it, I gave up for two to two and a half years yeah. and only because of fear. And this goes, it doesn't matter if you want to be a stage hypnotist, a hypnotherapist or a school teacher. OK, I, I say to people all the time, look, if you're in a position that you don't like, you've got the power to change that. Are you going to have to get out of your comfort zone to do it? Yeah, I had to get in front of 225 people and risk absolute disaster, <laughs> yeah. right? Now, my, my case was extreme, but I don't, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be on my deathbed saying, I wish I tried. Yeah. And I don't think anybody wants to be. So I, I encourage people all the time you know my students who who want to or are considering becoming stage hypnotists uh you know i'm not the hard sell kind of guy but you know i i just make it clear to them if you're unhappy with what you're doing now what's it going to take to be happy and are you willing to take those steps if not there's plenty of people who are going to be miserable in their jobs till till the day they die yeah. you want to be one of them or not mm. yeah 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 yeah, yeah, I hear you on that. Um, 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 and and I, I think I, I think there's a huge amount that's really relevant there to, to, to therapists as well, to hypnotherapists and people that are that, that are considering going into to become hypnotherapists. Um, yeah, I, I've got I've got a lot of students that are also hypnotherapists. Yeah, they love what they do. They've got a passion for what they do. And I say, perfect. You know, God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep changing people, change the world. But but they'll say to me. But I also want to use hypnosis to have fun in a whole other way. Maybe yeah. I want to do shows on the weekends or, or public shows or a show from time to time. And I, I do tell people, and this is what I talked about uh, at the UK Hypnosis Convention in, uh, in one of my classes there this past year, was how you can really grow a, a therapy practice by doing shows on the side. Because... I have for the last 25 years, you do a show and people come up to you after and say, well, can you help me with my phobia? Can you help me with my weight loss? Yeah. Can you help me with my anxiety? Your, yeah. your practice will grow, will grow massively because you're, you are demonstrating hypnosis in a very non-intimidating way. You know, because when somebody goes to a 
therapy session, there might be some nervousness and intimidation. But if they can watch hypnosis from an audience, you know, with zero pressure, and they can see the power of hypnosis in in a stage setting, well, then they'll they'll ask themselves, well, yeah, maybe this stuff can help me with this, that, or the other. So it's a powerful tool that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I I hear that said from from so many of my friends that do stage shows um, and that and that work on the stage and, and, and that do performance hypnosis. Um, I hear that so so often. Um, you know, one of the things I've attempted to do within my work, um, 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 you, you know, th th throughout recent years in particular, is 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 to import some of that skill set that that stage hypnotists have um, into um, uh, uh, and kind of you know. Um, um, into a more sort of sanitized therapeutic environment and and create an illicit hypnotic phenomena very readily and feel comfortable doing that because I encounter right. so many hypnotherapists that, that feel a sense of fear, you know, when just face to face with one person, let alone, you know, an audience of 225 people. Um, yeah, yeah it, it all comes down what you're comfortable with. I'm more comfortable. My largest show I've ever done, uh, it was actually this past uh, September, I think, is 8,000 people. Wow. And I'm more comfortable in front of 8,000 than I am in front of one. Sure. Uh, but people who do therapy, they think to themselves, well, I'm so used to working with one, how would I work with many hundred? And the reality is this. When you put yourself out there, you can get comfortable with any situation. I've done therapy, uh, individual therapy before, but my comfort zone, because it's where where I spend most of my time, is doing it with 30 people at a time in front of a group of many hundred. Um, that, but but over time, if you practice and you put yourself out there, you can be a therapist can be comfortable in front of doing it with 30 people at the same time and in front of an audience. So it's just it's just a matter of uh, getting yourself out there and making it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, it, it has been um, a long time since um, I've been able to speak about and discuss stage hypnosis on this show. Um, um, when 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 this podcast was new, um, um, I had. Um, uh, Martin S. Taylor on the show, and we spoke a little bit about that um, 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 a few years ago. And and um, I also spoke a little bit and sort of touched upon this with um, Sean Michael Andrews many, many years ago now. Um, um, but it's been a long time since I've had the chance to to really speak to somebody such as yourself. And, and probably you're, you're, you're the first person really that, 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 that works with those kinds of audiences. And and I basically just want to keep asking you about it nonstop. Um, um, for, for now, um, where, where can people go and learn more about your work, your approach and, and so on? Um, um, Michael, first of all. Yeah, my training program, stagehypnosisuniversity.com. That is where I've got students from around the world that are doing amazing things, uh, part-time or full-time, where they're doing what they once thought was impossible. Uh, I was uh, working with a girl from New York who's, who's a school teacher a while ago, and she came on as a student, and she was uh, she's a school teacher, and she was talking about hypnosis. Uh, she had a little bit of experience, and she was talking about hypnosis with her classroom. Well, some, one of the other teachers got wind of it and said, um, hey, I hear you know about hypnosis. Can you come and do a show at a summer camp this, you know, coming up? 
And she gave the best answer in the world, which was yes, even though she had no idea how to approach it. She had done a little bit of therapeutic training, um, but she had no idea how to do a stage show. So she comes to me and we worked hard together because my program is not only is there a digital side that's got over 300 videos and 60 hours of training, but it's a one-on-one -on -one mentorship with me. I bring my students from point A to point B, get through every subtle fear that they have, work through every bit, whether it be the induction, the suggestibility test, the lecture. So she comes to me and her show was 10 weeks away. And that's my record. <laughs> and so within 10 weeks, we got her from knowing nothing about stage hypnosis to doing a show uh, that she blew her own mind. And on her way home from the show, because these these summer camps that they do in the Northeast uh, here in the U.S., they speak to each other a lot. And on her way home, she booked another one. And she is she's done several now and she's scheduled for the summer to do a lot more. And so this is just somebody that answered that question. If she had said, no, that's not something I really do. Just think of what she would have lost. Right. Yeah. So she answered the question with a yes. And then so she answered first, went searching for answers after that. So she found me online and we made it happen. So she's she's doing great things. And I've got students all around the world doing similar things. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, um, you know, I know a lot of people um, that were that, that, that were on your uh, on your workshop, your class here in the UK at the end of last year, who spoke incredibly highly about it. And it was the reason that I wanted to have you on the show. And um, I went and had a look at um, the State Hypnosis University dot com website um and before recording today and i loved it um, um signed up Thanks. for your newsletter myself and ah. um, um yeah 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 that you know there was there was loads that there's loads of really cool stuff in there um, um yeah. there will be a link um 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 to 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 the stage hypnosis university uh, dot com um, um, um website over at uh, this episode's page of the hypnosis weekly website um, um, um go have a look go check out michael um, um yeah it's it's not it's not one of those um i mean i take the training very seriously with my students and it's not one of those oh go go to the site add to cart and go it's not how it works no some somebody watch they they watch the master class that i have on there and if they want to take it to the next level they schedule a call with me and then yeah. they have a call much like you and I are talking right now. The reason I do that is because I want to meet my prospective students. I want to make sure they're motivated, dialed in, ready to go. More importantly, I want them to meet me so we can build the rapport together. They know there's a real person behind it that has their best interests at heart. You know, I, I work hard for the students and I, at the same time, I expect them to work hard for me because that's what it takes to make it happen. Yeah. 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 You know, um, um, I, I, I absolutely love hearing that. I love hearing that. And um, I, I, I still cannot believe you're 52. I, I, I refuse to believe it, in fact. Um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've done something. You've done something somewhere along the way that's uh, that's made my head go peculiar as a result of that. Um, 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 Michael, I could just keep speaking to you. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing you again later on this year. Um, 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 and and really all that leaves, all that is left for me to say is thank you. Thank you for coming and being my guest on this week's show.
Thanks so much, Adam. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I look forward to seeing you again as well. I really enjoyed that. Um, um, if you'd like to see Michael uh, in real life, do come join us at the UK Hypnosis Convention later this year. Um, um, you may remember me mentioning in the previous edition that tickets have just gone on sale for the UK Hypnosis Convention recently. Uh, there's an early bird discount for a short while, uh, just before the speakers are announced, uh, which is going to be quite soon. Um, one thing I can tell you right now is that we do have some incredible speakers lined up, some incredible applications. Um, um, I think I mentioned to you uh, uh, previously, and you know, I've invited some some, some major hypnosis academics, university professors, doctors, lecturers who are going to be offering something different um, in addition to, 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 to our usual wonderful other speakers um, um, at this year's event. Um, do visit the UK Hypnosis Convention website, take up the early bird offer. Um, the tickets will not have as big a discount again this year. Um, um, so, so instead of our usual hypnosis in the news section this week, I'm going to talk about another, another article. Um, that featured in the news, um, um, and 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 I wrote on Facebook and and on on, on other social media um, um, just just two days ago. I wrote the words. I had to share this study. I think it's so true of people within the hypnosis and hypnotherapy fields. And then I cited the the the, the, the study title, which is "People with Extreme Anti-Science Views Know the Least, but Think They Know the Most." A study. And um, um, the less people know, the authors conclude, the more opposed they are to the scientific consensus. Um, and this is referring to a paper that was written um, and published in the journal Nature Human Behaviour. Um, um, I, I don't even necessarily think it's the best paper, you know, academic-wise, um, but it fits with much of my own professional rhetoric, you know, if, I, if I'm brutally honest. Um, and so I thought I'd shared it. I, I was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I hasten to add. Um, the, the, the paper goes on to say, um, science communicators have made concerted efforts to educate the public with an eye to bringing their attitudes in line with the experts. Um, um, so this is, this, this is what they were writing. And, and they state that people with an inflated sense of what they actually know and most in need of education are also the ones least likely to be open to new information. Um, um, and and this this rings very true to me and and my experience of professionals and other trainers in the hypnotherapy field in particular and and so I put this message out asking people what they thought um, um, and 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 I I wasn't kind of expecting the debate to ensue in quite the way it did and someone replied um, um, that, that that daily we read contradictory research you know whether it's food lifestyle medication and that that can be confusing and that there are also some merchants of misinformation um, um, and 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 I you know I, I replied to that um, I'm extolling the virtues of critical thinking and, and knowing how to be able to to to, to, to effectively evaluate um, um, research. Um, 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 anyway, um, uh, after that, uh, former the former TV presenter and now hypnotherapist Steve Miller, uh, he joined in uh, and, and and agreed with the comment that that that, that I that I would responded to, um, and he wrote, "I agree. There's lots of conflicting research," and he put research in inverted commas. He said, "I agree. Lots of conflicting research. I do my own a lot now. I am a science in my own right." Hmm. So 
I'm, I'm, I thought I'd explain my reply to that because I'm, I'm, you know, it's 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 really relevant. I think it's really important. And and I wrote and I said it's a common and a typical cognitive bias and heuristic to to write off evidence just because of conflicting positions, when actually, uh, you know, such conflict can and should be embraced. The most effective hypnotherapists with the most thriving careers that I encounter each year are those um, um, who understand both sides of an argument a philosophy or a position um you know those of you um those of you that are regular listeners will know this is something that that, that i talk about often i talk about it in my videos i talk about it here so so those who understand both sides um, um of a position um, um because they've examined the evidence for and against they're familiar with the literature to support either of those conflicting sides they're not necessarily dogmatically entrenched in a singular stance you know not necessarily anyway um, but they'll take the stance that's most responsible with the most support for it. One of the most productive times for the evidence base of the hypnosis field was in the 1970s, um, when there was a socio-cognitive versus dissociation sort of academic debates. They were at their height. They were dubbed the theory wars. And as a field, you know, we grew a great deal then as a result of those conflicting stances. You know, we benefited from the spoils of that war. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, but, but, but I wrote that that's not really what, what the article was about or what my statement was about. It was more about the attitude that pervades within the field of hypnotherapy, something that I think is ably illustrated by many in the hypnosis and hypnotherapy field um, who offer show and noise without real substance or, or any kind of seeming depth of understanding. And with science, we're not seeking a singular truth or a singular position. We always yield if something comes along that supersedes our existing position. And we recognise that things can develop. We are applying a systematic way of thinking, applying consistent logic to evaluate results. The aim is to be thorough, to apply careful observation and reflection, to be as systematic as we're able. It matters not if research findings differ. You know, knowing that research at all, you know, just knowing the research and applying due consideration and scientific scrutiny wherever possible, you know, and uh, recognising this has limitations on occasion. But but that's responsible. That's an, a, a responsible approach to the work that we do. And what I promote and what I believe this field would benefit greatly from. So. Um, um, Steve Miller doesn't strike me as someone who likes others to have the final word. So, so he replied by saying, I agree reading the books is useful. I also recognise, as many do, that study X often turns its back on study Y. And that study A is now the latest champion, but study X and Y still say they are right. And that study was a funded, skewed load of garbage. That's why my own science was founded. And he rounded it off with a cool emoji. Um, um, anyway, so it's, I, I replied, Steve, that's why we teach effective critical thinking skills and means of being able to systematically evaluate the provenance of research. Though I've conducted some of the most rigorous and peer-reviewed re, you know, reviews of literature in the hypnosis field, and I found that virtually none of it is funded. Um, certainly none of it funded by self-interested groups or organisations. If it is, then knowing how to see through it and evaluate it effectively is necessary. However, such, such paranoia, such blanket statements, they're unnecessary as far as I can see. If you have evidence to the contrary and can show that there's lots of evidence supporting the hypnosis and hypnotherapy fields that is funded, 
show me, you know, and I'll yield in my position. It just seems a little bit foil hat brigade to me. However, in order for any research to be published in a peer-reviewed journal, it must always openly state any conflicting or commercial interests and any source or body of private or public funding. It's announced um, um, besides the abstract, usually on, on a paper. Plus, the peer review process in and of itself is incredibly rigorous and, and any such slant or bias is readily highlighted and scrutinised prior to publication. And I have first-hand experience of this, but you just need to examine the editorial guidelines of any quality peer-reviewed journal and see it for yourself. And, and I wrote that adopting such a position, you know, writing off research because of the criteria that he was offering up, um, 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 seems bizarre to me. It also strikes me as a real shame because, you know, Steve is somebody that has a degree of influence in some corners of this field and could really help develop the field in a credible way were he to recognise what I perceive to be flaws in, in his logic. And, and I wrote, bless you for thinking that something such as science and its systematic line of inquiry can be adapted to form your own brand of it. Um, though I think pseudoscientists may have beaten him to it. Um, um, and, and I threw some laughter emojis in for good measure. And, and the, the, the brief exchange that we had there, it proved the point. You know, it actually proved the point of, of, of what I was writing. You know, that, that, that it struck me. It struck me that um, um, it illustrated the exact point I was making by sharing the article in the first place. Um, I, I think that was lost somewhere um, 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 along the way, you know, by, by people. Um, um, but I also added a favourite quote of mine to round things off uh, from the very brilliant and beloved Terry Pratchett. And uh, he once wrote, Science is not about building a body of known facts. It is a method for asking awkward questions and subjecting them to a reality check, thus avoiding the human tendency to believe whatever makes us feel good. And, and I just love that. Um, I'm, I'm, I think it bore out in the conversation that ensued when I posted that particular article. Um, I'm, I'm, so, so, so finally... This week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week, our usual slot. The fact of the week is this, that positive suggestions delivered to patients in the preoperative period significantly decrease the need for a blood transfusion. Um, um, so according to a fascinating and fairly recent study, it's a 2016 study titled Effects of Positive Suggestion on the Need for Red Blood Cell Transfusion in Orthopaedic Surgery. The study examined whether positive suggestions applied without a hypnotic induction in the perioperative period um, reduces the need for red blood cell um, transfusions in patients who underwent a total hip or knee arthroplasties um, with spinal anesthesia. And of nearly 100 patients that were randomly assigned to the suggestion group and the control group um, and uh, patients that were in the suggestion group received verbal suggestions before and then um, recording audio recorded um, suggestions during the surgery itself. Um, and the suggestions were for reducing blood loss, anxiety, postoperative pain and faster recovery. And the study showed that using positive suggestions within that period, the, the perioperative period, you know, before and during um, surgery, um, significantly decreases the necessity for transfusion. 
Um, um, I love that. You know, it's so cool. This is the stuff that we should be getting getting into and, and understanding within our field. Um, links to that research paper is included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, if you follow me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, you can find masses of uh, memes relating to a variety of studies whereby hypnosis has been examined. That is it for our uh, 106th edition. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next time out, I'll be speaking to Kaz Riley and we'll be discussing all things sexual health and hypnosis. And I'll be doing my best not to descend into childish, idiotic uh, uh, fits of giggles every time we say the word erection. Um, I clearly have issues that need therapy too. Um, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode uh, on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I always welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website. I'll make sure they get addressed and answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Michael C. Anthony. Uh, my thanks to you, as always, for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.